What's up, everyone? Welcome in. Welcome to episode 29 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. It is terrific to have you in on a Friday evening, July 13th. Friday the 13th. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but it is great to have you in. And we've got a lot of sports to talk about. So I want to open the show with a bit of World Cup. I haven't talked about the World Cup in a while, but the final, the World Cup final is set. We have Croatia versus France in the World Cup final. And to be honest with you, I don't think anybody could have really predicted this. Um, England had a chance to knock out Croatia in the semifinals. I really liked England from the beginning of the tournament. I thought they had a great shot to make it to the final. They were up a goal middle of the match, and Croatia, Croatia came back and kind of stunned them an extra time. So Croatia is in the final, and then Belgium, who's been red hot throughout the entire World Cup, was eliminated, eliminated by France. So we have France versus Croatia in the World Cup final. I I like France in the World Cup final. That's who I'm going to go with. I'm going with France in the World Cup final, but that's just a quick little update there. I haven't really been following World Cup much. I'm not huge into soccer. But definitely I definitely would like to tune in to the World Cup final. Uh, so go France. All right, so I want to shift gears now to another sport that I don't talk to, talk about at, that much, tennis. The championships at Wimbledon are going on right now, and we're pretty far into the tournament for both sides. The final is set for the women's side, and the for the men, it is almost set. And we've got a lot to talk about in terms of Wimbledon. For the women's final, it is Serena Williams versus Angelique Kerber. And I think that's going to be a terrific final. And that will be played tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, I really think this is going to be a, a terrific matchup. Serena Williams is returning to dominance. Kind of where she left off about a year and a half ago. Coming off of having a baby, and she had a tough time getting back into playing shape. And Angelique Kerber is playing some of her best tennis right now. And if I had to make a prediction, I'm going to go with Angelique Kerber. Uh, she's a lefty. She's very, uh, very good on the baseline. Uh, hits terrific ground strokes. And Serena, although she's been very good. I don't know if she'll quite have enough in this final, but I definitely think definitely think she's going to win some more major championships. I do like Angelique Kerber in this one. I think it'll be a three-setter. Definitely looking forward to that tomorrow. And what's been interesting about the women's side of the draw is that the top 10 women's seeds were all knocked out before round four. 
all top 10 women's seeds were knocked out before round four, and that is unprecedented. That has never happened before, I don't think, in any major, let alone Wimbledon. So, very bizarre. But that has really opened up for the field for Serena. It's really given her some some matches to kind of get back to her top form. Um, and it's opened up some opportunities for other lesser-known players to get further in the draw. I am very excited for the match tomorrow. It's going to be a great one. And then for the men's side, right now one half of the men's final is set. We have Kevin Anderson out of South Africa in the final. He knocked out Roger Federer in the quarterfinals in a five-set match that went uh, past the limit. Like the Usually in a set, you go to a tiebreak. But in the fifth set, you don't do a tiebreak because you want to get a clear winner. Because tiebreaks don't really show a clear winner. You want to you want to end the match on a break of serve to find a clear winner, and it ended up going to they ended up playing twenty uh, let's see twenty six games in the final set I believe, uh, and Kevin Anderson won fourteen games to twelve in the fifth set, and really it was kind of a, a bizarre match for Federer. Federer had not lost a set all all tournament, won the first two sets against Kevin Anderson. Had a match point in the third set, and then Kevin Anderson fought all the way back to take the five-set match. Uh, very disappointing for Roger Federer. Everyone expected him to to repeat as champion and be a nine-time Wimbledon champion. But Kevin Anderson has got a big serve. He's big and long. He's 6'8", very lanky, very long. And he has really earned his way through all his matches. He faced John Isner earlier today. John Isner out of America in the semifinal. And this was John Isner's first ever semifinal in a major. And this game, or this match rather, was even longer than the match between Anderson and Federer. This was a 6-hour and 36-minute match that went to 5 sets and they played a total of 50 games in the final set with Kevin Anderson winning 26 games to 24. That is insane. I can't imagine the wear and tear it puts on a guy's body. And for Kevin Anderson to do that 2 matches in a row within 48 hours of each other and then have to play again on Sunday versus a an opponent like Rafael Nadal or Novak Djokovic. Coming off of those kind of matches, that's going to be a very tough test. It's going to be very tough. And 50 games in a final set, I mean, that's just ridiculous. I, I really think the the, the uh, officials in tennis, they need to meet and discuss a rule change 
and maybe figure out a way to move the fifth set format to a tiebreak kind of format where maybe you don't stop at six games all and go to a tiebreak. Maybe you extend it to 10 games all. See if you see if you can find a winner at 10. And if you get to 10 games all, maybe you go to a tiebreak. Or you can just go straight tiebreak after six games all. I just think a tiebreak is in the best interest interest of the players. And it's also in the best interest of the fans. I don't think the fans really want to sit there and watch a six-hour, seven-hour match. And believe it or not, this isn't even the longest match in tennis history. The longest match in tennis history was 11 hours. Over, It was like 11 hours and two minutes. John Isner was a part of that one. It was a part of Wimbledon in 2010 against Nicholas Mahout. The fifth set went, they played a hundred and. 38 games in the final set. Isner won 70 to 68. And you would think after that match they would change the rule, but no, we're back eight years later. And we have a 50 game final set. I think it definitely for sure needs to be changed. It's in the best interest of the players. And it gives, like, how do you recover after a match like that? How do you recover after one? Kevin Anderson's got to recover from two. He's played two matches into extended time. Something has to be done about that. It's got to be made more fair for for the players in those matches. You got to keep everybody on a level playing field. I think that's what the, that's what has to be done. Um. But the other side of the draw, the semifinal features Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. That match has been suspended. It is Djokovic is up two sets to one on Nadal. They had to suspend play because Wimbledon has a curfew. The the uh, the stadium has a curfew, so they have to close the stadium down at 11 o'clock. And that was due to the Kevin Anderson Isner match. That match started at tw- uh, that started at would have been 12 p.m. British time, I believe 8 a.m. Eastern time, and six hours and 36 minutes is not something people foresee. So that's why that's another reason why you need to change the format is because. Matches that should finish on a set day, we don't get to see the completion of. And that's because of these extreme five-set matches. So that's another reason why you need to change the fifth set format to some kind of tiebreak where you you cut off the match at a certain point. Because the the, the Djokovic-Nadal match was turning into, into a terrific match. The third set tiebreak was Incredible! I was watching that match. I, I even watched the Isner-Anderson match, and uh, I, I mean, I just got bored after a while, really. Um, but the Nadal-Djokovic match was a terrific match to the point to which they played. Definitely looking forward to the continuation tomorrow. I do like the way Djokovic is playing. However, whenever there's a stoppage, it always favors. The losing player. So I look for Nadal to take the fourth set tomorrow. 
And then the fifth set, I, I do like Djokovic. I think Djokovic is a better grass player. He is finally hitting his form after coming back from injury. I do like Djokovic. I think he'll move on to face Kevin Anderson. And if Kevin Anderson can go, if he's able to withstand possibly another five-set match, I do like Anderson's chances. But I think the overwhelming favorite is whoever wins tomorrow between Nadal and Djokovic. They are the overwhelming favorites. But I do like Djokovic to get out of the semifinals tomorrow. Excuse me. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. All right, I want to shift gears. Uh, we're going to talk some NFL. Um, I want to do some record predictions for all 32 NFL teams. And we're not going to do that, obviously, all in one episode. That's just too much. And I'm not going to go through every team's schedule. That's also pretty lengthy. Um, but I, I'm going to give record predictions for each division. We're going to do one division a week. I'm going to start this week with the AFC North. That's the Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals. I I like Pittsburgh to win the division. Uh, they're clearly the best team. They've got the best offense in the AFC. And their division is generally weak. Uh, it's going to be better this year. I think Cleveland is a real team now. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but they are definitely a real team that can compete with some of the top teams in the league. Uh, the Bengals, they are what they are. They're very limited. Andy Dalton's limited. Very good in the regular season at times, but once you start hitting crunch time, end of the regular season, it starts to fall off. Baltimore, they've got a QB situation on their hands. That team's going to self-implode midway through the year. Uh, but I do like Pittsburgh to win, to win the division. I have them 12-4. and four. I've got the Baltimore Ravens at 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, like I said, their season I think is just going to implode halfway through the year. Uh, I do like Lamar Jackson better than Joe Flacco. I think that's who they need to roll with. And if they start Lamar Jackson the whole season, their record might be lower. It might be below any eight and eight just because you know there's always growing pains whenever a, a rookie quarterback starts. Uh, the Browns, I like to be six and ten. Uh, obviously, anything is better than zero and sixteen. I don't think. I don't think they're going to win zero games. I don't think they're only going to win one or two. They, I think they have a legitimate shot to be in a lot of games. I don't think they're a playoff team. I think six and ten is a is a great starting point for them with this new team. And then the Bengals, I also have them at six and ten. They're just very limited. They've got they improved on defense in the draft, but their offense is just not. It's just not good. Tyler Eifert's always hurt. Andy Dalton is, he's got his limitations. And that's really all I can say about them. So Pittsburgh 12 and 4, Baltimore 8 and 8, Browns 6 and 10, Bengals 6 and 10. And Pittsburgh with a 12 and 4 record will lock up the first seed and obtain a bye week for the AFC playoffs. All right, some other news. Uh, Cam Chancellor 
safety of the Seattle Seahawks is retiring from the NFL. And people believe this is the the this is the last hard hitting safety. Like the last Cam Chancellor is the last of his breed. And so I pose the question are hard hitting safeties becoming obsolete? I would say without a doubt, yes. I don't think the position as a whole is obsolete. I think safety is probably the most important position on the field. Just because of what they see, they see the entire they see the setup of their defense and they see the setup of the offense. And a lot of times they're the ones that makes the calls because they they can see everything. So I think safety is the most important position on defense. But hard-hitting safeties are no longer relevant. It's, It's a lot like big men in basketball. If you're a big man and can't shoot, you don't play. It's just the way it is. It's a guard wing league. In the NFL, it's a passing league. You need to... You need players that are able to match up with players playing four wide. If an offense lines up four wide, you need a a safety that can match up with receivers in the slot or even a receiver on the outside and run sideline to sideline. And we don't have a lot of safeties like that in the NFL right now. Earl Thomas, I I think, is the best safety in the league. He can run sideline to sideline, and he can cover a lot of receivers. Plus, he can also he also packs a punch when he tackles. So he is a hard-hitting safety, but he's nowhere near where Cam Chancellor was. Cam Chancellor, I don't think, was as great in one-on-one defense. He was great on the inside covering slants just because of how hard of a hitter he was, how physical he was at the line of scrimmage. But in terms of covering sideline to sideline, matching up one-on-one with someone on the outside, Cam Chancellor couldn't do that, and and safeties like him can't do that. I think you're gonna what you're gonna see is players like Cam Chancellor, as big as he is, as strong as he is, and as hard hitting as he is, you're gonna see players with his kind of build and his kind of play style move to linebacker. And even linebackers kind of have to run sideline to sideline now, but you're gonna see those kind of players playing linebacker. Because of their physicality and linebackers are not as fast as your corners and what your prototype safety should be. So Cam Chancellor, I think his breed is becoming obsolete, but not the position as a whole. DeMarco Murray also retired from the NFL, and I was actually really surprised by this because reports came out that he was talking to several teams and was nearing it and was expected to sign a contract. Uh, I guess the only thing I can really take away from it is that he wasn't getting the money he desired. I guess he felt like he should have been paid somewhat close to a number one running back. And I don't think a lot of teams wanted him as a number one running back. They probably didn't want to pay him as one. So I'm going to assume that's why he retires because he wasn't getting the money he wanted. And it's really a shame because when he was with the Cowboys, he was 
he was NFC Offensive Player of the Year, and then went and made his money in Philadelphia, and then it really all went downhill from there for him. He never really found the right system, and I think if you give DeMarco Murray an offensive line, he is a terrific running back, one of the best in the league, but he just never found the right system after leaving Dallas. And then some uh, some big news also. The NFL Players Association files a challenge to the league's national anthem policy. So I, uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the NFL put out a policy. I believe I talked about this on an earlier show. Uh, where teams will, can be penalized for not standing or for not coming out for the national anthem. Now, obviously, I completely disagree with this new policy instituted by the NFL. But the NFL Players Association is arguing that it infringes on the players' rights to protest something they believe in. And it also, uh, it also goes against the collective bargaining agreement. And that was that is what the NFLPA is arguing. And I completely agree with the the NFL Players Association. This, it's it's our First Amendment right as citizens of the United States to stand up for what we believe in as long as we're not causing a public panic while doing so. I just, I, I really hate this kind of discussion because I don't really want to get into politics, but the idea that the NFL is not, like, is going to stop players from using their platform to protest something like people don't even understand what they're protesting i or it's either they don't want to understand they either don't want to understand or they or they genuinely don't understand what they're protesting and until they figure that out this is always going to be an issue this is always going to be an issue this is their first amendment right they should absolutely be allowed to do so it just people don't understand that it's protesting police brutality brutality and racial inequality. That's all it is. It's not disrespectful to soldiers. It's been said many times that it's not disrespectful to soldiers. And it's already been established. People need to understand what these players are trying to do and it's and really a lot of it is the media's fault a lot of it is the media's fault and they're depicting it as something that is malicious towards the great servicemen and women of america and i don't i i don't like talking about this but unfortunately, it's a it's a regular discussion that we're going to have until one side eventually just gives in. And I really hope it's the NFL. I really hope the NFL gives in on this kind of on this subject. Uh, 
But until then, this is going to be a regular uh, conflict of interest. But I definitely 100% agree with the NFL Players Association's uh, grievance that they filed against the NFL. And it is absolutely an infringement of the players' rights. Uh, and I'm not sure how it works with the collective bargaining agreement, but for sure, I, I definitely agree with what they're doing. Uh, we're going to move on now. Let's shift gears over to the NBA. Uh, so free agency is essentially over. There's not that many big names left. Uh, Isaiah Thomas signed a one-year minimum deal with the Denver Nuggets. Was kind of surprised by that. I figured he would make anywhere in between like seven to fifteen million dollars. I thought that that was gonna be his range. I would have paid twenty for one year, but I guess teams. I don't know if teams thought the injury was an issue. Or just whether or not he was a starting caliber point guard. I definitely think he's a star. Uh, sure, a lot of it had to do with the system he was in in Boston when he had that MVP season. But I still definitely think he's a great player. And he's reuniting with Mike Malone in Denver. And that was his coach when he was in Sacramento. So hopefully he can find his powers and kind of earn some of that money he lost because it's really a sad story, honestly. A guy come he finishing fourth in the MVP voting in one year, has a tragic injury, gets traded to the Cavs, and then is essentially just kicked out and kicked over to Los Angeles for half a season where he eventually sits out again due to injury. So it's... It's really sad how it all turned out for him. I definitely think he is a near-max guy, 25 to $30 million. Really unfortunate for him, but he's going to get an opportunity in Denver. And Denver is actually an interesting team. Isaiah Thomas, Jokic, Paul Millsap. You got Jamal Murray out there, Gary Harris. I think that's a solid team. That's a really, really good team. And I think that team is going to be in the playoffs in the West next year. And they just missed out last year. Um, Carmelo Anthony and the Thunder are likely going to reach buyout a buyout agreement. Uh, the Thunder explored trade options, but there is no market for for Carmelo. He's like 34 years old. Uh, he was marginalized as a spot up shooter with the Thunder. He wasn't utilized very well. But the guy can still ball, and I definitely think he can play for a team. But for $27 million, he's not going to – no team's going to trade anything for him. But suitors, potential suitors are the Miami Heat, Houston Rockets, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Right now, the Houston Rockets – the Rockets are the front runners to land him. They really want him. Uh, with the Lakers, I would assume, right behind and then the Heat. I think LeBron and Carmelo would work really well. LeBron always elevates the people around him. And for the Lakers to get him on the cheap, you sign him to a veteran's, veteran's minimum deal. 
if he's bought out. You bring him in cheap. You don't have to sacrifice any of your assets. I think it's a it's a great pickup if you can get him on the cheap. As far as the Rockets go, I don't think it's going to work in Houston simply because you have two very ball-dominant players in Chris Paul and James Harden. And yes, LeBron is a ball-dominant player, but he has said that he wants to start playing off the ball more, and LeBron can certainly still facilitate to Carmelo Anthony and get him open and get him his shots. But with Lonzo and Rajon Rondo potentially handling the ball more, it certainly opens up the floor a little bit for both LeBron and Carmelo, and I think it would work a lot better in Los Angeles. As far as Houston goes, Chris Paul and James Harden are two very ball-dominant players, and it's going to be very similar to Russell Westbrook and Paul George. It's going to be very similar. But Houston, I think, will sign him when he is bought out. I think they will for sure sign him. And Houston has really taken a step back. They have taken a huge step back in the West. I do not think they are contenders anymore. Um, obviously, they're going to be a top team in the West just because they have Harden and Paul. But they lost two players that are ex- they're actually really, really important. They're not superstars, but they're 3-and-D-type players. Trevor Ariza. They lost a guy that can guard LeBron, that can guard a Kevin Durant. They lost him to the Phoenix Suns for one year, $15 million. He is a very streaky shooter, excellent in the corner, but can guard virtually any position one through four. And he is one guy that can make Kevin Durant and LeBron James uncomfortable. It's vital. It was vital for them to keep Trevor Ariza. You can argue Trevor Ariza is more important to that team than Clint Capella is. And another player that you can argue is more important than Clint Capella is another guy they lost in Luke Mbamute. They lost him to the Los Angeles Clippers on a one-year, I believe it was a minimum deal. I believe it was in the $2 million range, whatever the minimum is. He's another guy that can make a guy like Durant or LeBron uncomfortable, can guard those guys, and can also guard positions one through four on the defensive end. And also can hit threes, can hit the mid-range jumpers. Those two guys are far more important to the team than a guy like Clint Capella, and arguably they're more important than James Harden in a way. You could you could argue that in a sense that with their defensive abilities, they're they are potentially the most valuable players on that team. Because there's no way you're gonna outshoot the Warriors. You just have to be able to try to uh, just eliminate their shooting as much as possible with great defense. And they lost their two best defensive players. And they also put themselves in a pickle by signing Chris Paul to a max deal. Chris Paul is not a max player anymore. At over 30 years of age, he's played less and less games over the last four seasons. 
And it's only going to continue. And paying him four years, $160 million, Chris Paul got so lucky because no other team would have paid him that much. And now they're locked in for four years of potentially Chris Paul playing only 40 or 50 games a season and potentially losing him in the playoffs. And when they lose Chris Paul, they have no shot. Chris Paul is the most valuable player on that team. He is more valuable than James Harden. He's not better than James Harden, but he's more valuable. And I think by straddling themselves financially with that Chris Paul deal, potentially not even having him for four full seasons, that's rough. And then you lose your two best defensive wing players. They're no longer contenders in the West. They'll likely be a they'll likely finish top three in the West in the standings. But that's just because they've got two superstars, and it's a star-driven league. You need superstars to be able to win. It's just when you're playing a team like Golden State, your role players become extremely important. They become very important. Now with that. NBA title odds for the 2018-2019 season, Houston is not number two anymore. I do like the Warriors, and we're going to get to the Warriors in a minute. Actually, we'll get to the Warriors right now. The Warriors signed DeMarcus Cousins. And, and I know Twitter and social media absolutely freaked out when DeMarcus Cousins was signed. And... I'm going to be honest with you. I freaked out too. My instant reaction was like, really? Are you got to be kidding me? How in the world did you get DeMarcus Cousins for $5 million? First of all, take a deep breath. Breathe, okay? Just chill for a second. It's an understandable reaction. To, re- to react that way, I, I get it. Because I reacted the same way, and I'm sure everybody did when they first saw the signing. But just think about this for a second. The market for DeMarcus Cousins wasn't there. It wasn't there. He's coming. He's injured and he's got a torn Achilles right now. He likely won't play until February or March. And even then he may, he may not be ready. And when he comes back, when he eventually comes back, he's not going to be in any kind of playing shape. And a guy not going to be the player he was once he comes back. Kobe, before his Achilles injury, was averaging 25 points a game. Everything after that, all the following seasons, he averaged 18 points a game. He wasn't the same player. And granted, he had a lot more other injuries involved. But the Achilles injury was what did it for Kobe. That was essentially the end of Kobe's career. So we don't know what Boogie is going to be when he comes back. Now, if he can get 30 games under his belt before the playoffs, he might be able to work himself back into playing shape. It's a tough fit with the Warriors because they they like to run and transition a lot, shoot a lot of threes. And Boogie is a tremendous three-point shooter, and he's a tremendous passer. So he fits in in terms of style. 
But transition, he's not going to be great in transition. He's, he's a big guy. He doesn't move well to begin with. But with this injury, he's going to be even more limited. He's not... He he's not gonna play a lot of minutes. He's really he's really only gonna play 15 to 20 minutes a game for the entire season for the entirety of his season. Now I think he becomes very valuable once you get to the playoffs and later on because he's great on the glass. He's an excellent rebounder. I don't think that's going to change once he gets into shape. He's going to really help out the Warriors on the glass. Because they certainly got out-rebounded by Cleveland in the finals, and they swept them. I mean, the margin was huge, and they got and they still dominated the Cavs. And then Boogie is also extremely valued as a stretch five. He can. You don't need Boogie to bang down low. You don't need him to do that. If you just stretch the floor, you're gonna get Boogie some open looks on a torn Achilles, Kobe. Players can still shoot. You're just standing in the corner and you're going to be wide open with the way they move the ball. So Boogie, all he has to do is stand in the corner and rebound. And just play 15 to 20 minutes a night. And that's very lethal for the Warriors. So it's once he gets back into some kind of playing shape, it does make it somewhat unfair. And obviously, DeMarcus a 50% DeMarcus Cousins is far better than JaVale McGee or Zaza Pachulia. But we just don't know what, what he's going to be yet. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to shake out. So just breathe. Just relax. I do still think the Warriors win the title anyways. I think they were going to win it. They were, they were the favorites regardless. We just need to relax. We don't know what DeMarcus Cousins is going to be yet. At most, he's going to be a stretch five and a rebounder. He's not going to bang down low like he was last year. He's not going to be the same player. And if for some reason he is, then I'm wrong. But we just need to relax. Okay? There's... And the the risk that the warriors are taking is no risk at all because they don't need him so literally they can wait as long as they need to to bring boogie back they can wait as long as they need to because they're going to be completely fine they're going to be one of the top 2 seeds in the west without him and then once that they can just work him in as fat as slow as they want to they can bring him back as slow as they want to it's really a perfect situation for boogie to get his body right and it's great for the warriors because they're going to get a guy that can still contribute a little bit once he comes back but we just need to relax because he's not going to be the same player and people think he's chasing rings by only signing for five million dollars no there was no market for him nobody wanted to pay him max money or close to max money no one wanted to pay him that amount of money the lakers had the opportunity to sign him they could have signed him before the warriors did and they didn't want to wait until march to potentially get him back 
And that's why a team like the Warriors can take that risk. Don't be mad at the Golden State Warriors for signing Boogie Cousins. Don't be mad. They had the cap space to do it. And that's what makes their dynasty so great, is that they're all selfless. They're not in it for the money. Kevin Durant took a little bit of a pay cut. He took $5 million less. That $5 million they used to sign Boogie was freed up by Kevin Durant. So don't be mad at the Warriors. They did everything within the rules. They're a selfless team, and they want to be as good as possible. And it's a very low-risk, potentially, it's not, it's not going to be a high reward because I don't think he's going to be the same player. But there's going to be a little bit of reward in there because he's much better than JaVale or Zaza. But we don't need to overreact. Just... Breathe, okay? All right. So, also, some more NBA news. Kawhi Leonard hasn't been traded by the San Antonio Spurs yet. And a lot of people are wondering, what's the holdup? The San Antonio Spurs are in no rush. There's no rush to trade Kawhi Leonard right now. They can wait all the way into the February trade deadline next season. Now, I wouldn't do that because your value, the value you can get for him is going to decrease the longer you wait to trade him. But the reason why he's not being traded is because they don't want to give him to the Lakers, but also Kawhi Leonard has all the leverage in this situation. He wants to go to L.A., preferably the Lakers. And that is really putting off teams from wanting to trade for him because he's going to be a one-year rental. He's literally said he doesn't want to be a one-year rental. But that's what he'll be if he's traded to a team other than the Clippers or Lakers. He will be a one-year rental. And that's putting teams off. That's why a deal hasn't been done. And the Lakers aren't going to clean house to get him. The Spurs want Ingram, Kuzma, Josh Hart, and a package of picks, and that's way too much. I would do Ingram. I would do. I would probably do Ingram and Kuzma. They have said Kuzma's off limits. I would probably do Ingram and Kuzma, and maybe a pick. I would do that. And if you need to do a salary filler, I don't know who it would be, but that kind of deal is something I would do. I do really like Kuzma a lot, but for Kawhi Leonard, I think you have to do it. Um, but remember, Kawhi Leonard hasn't been traded yet because no teams want to pull the trigger. Because Kawhi has all the leverage. He's He has said he's going to be a one-year rental if a team other than the Lakers or Clippers gets him. So we're going to probably be waiting for a while before we see whether or not Kawhi Leonard is traded by the Spurs. And then now I'm going to get to the NBA title odds for the 2018-2019 season. I think right now the Warriors are the clear favorites. Uh, there has been some tension in their locker room over the last couple years. It is a grind trying to do it year after year after year. And eventually it just wears you down, the mental and the physical strain it puts on you. Eventually 
they will fall apart, but with Boogie, it certainly makes them stronger come playoff time. They're going to coast through the regular season. They'll be a top three seed. They're not worried about number one. But the Warriors, I think, are the favorites to win the title. Number two, I would put the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics are going to be the team in the East for the next 10 years, assuming Kyrie Irving stays. And they've got so much talent. They've got Kyrie and Gordon Hayward coming back from injury. They've got Jason Tatum, who's the next star of the league. Jalen Brown is is an excellent shooting guard. They've got Al Horford, who is a pro's pro. And they've got the best coach in the league in Brad Stevens. That team is set up to run the East for a decade. And I certainly think they're a lock for the finals next year, assuming injury doesn't take place. I really like their chances, and I think if they make it, to, they're going to be a one seed. They'll make it to the finals, and if they play the Warriors in the finals, they will hold home home court advantage. So I can definitely see Boston taking the Warriors to seven games if the if the Celtics have home court. Even if they don't have home court, I think the Boston can take them. To, Boston can take them to seven games, and Boston could easily win. Not easily, but I think they can win in seven games against the Warriors. The Warriors, I don't think their dynasty is going to last much longer. They might three-peat next season, but after that, I think is where you're going to see some breakoff because they've got a clay issue. Clay Thompson might leave and sign with he, – he's a Los Angeles kid. His dad, Michael Thompson, used to play for the Lakers. He's an analyst for uh, – for the uh, Lakers games. So he he works out there. That, that could be some kind of a gravitational pull. To bring Clay to the Lakers with LeBron James. You also have a Draymond Green situation. Where he wants to get paid a Supermax. Uh, Kevin Durant. You never know what's going through his mind. If he wants a new challenge or not. We know Steph Curry's locked in. He's staying. He's a he's a warrior for life. And then they're not going to have DeMarcus Cousins next year because after next season, he's going to get more money. He will eventually play his way into getting some more money from a team. So they're not going to have him next year. They could potentially not have Clay next year, and they could potentially not have Kevin Durant next year. So after this year, I think this is it for the Warriors. And then number three behind the Warriors and the Celtics for the title odds, I'll put the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, if you just listen, man, they've got a ton of they've got some great young assets that are only getting better. Ingram and Lonzo missed a huge chunk of the year last year, and they're likely not going to do that again. Uh, they still have the best player in the world in LeBron James, and that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And there's problems with a lot of teams in the West. The Rockets have taken a step back by losing their top two wing defenders. The Warriors, there's there's a bit of tension in that locker room. 
And after this year, there there's a huge potential for a breakup. Jimmy Butler wants out of Minnesota. Uh, the Spurs, they're likely going to get rid of Kawhi. There's a lot of teams near the top of the West. Russell Westbrook and Paul George, that's not a good duo. They, they, they're just not good. Uh, there are some cracks in the Western Conference, and I think the Lakers can easily be a top three seed in the West. I definitely think they can be number – they could even be number one with the way the Warriors slack. You, They really could be. I think the Lakers – the Lakers won 35 games last year in the West. And for a young team with all those young stars, that's really good in a tough conference. You add LeBron James to that, that's 20 – that's 20 wins automatically added to that. That's a 55-win team, folks. They're going to be really good. And let's not forget, it's kind of a big deal. They've got LeBron. Anytime you have LeBron James, you have a shot. Number four, I'll probably put the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, ben Simmons is only getting better. He can. He's honestly probably got the best vision coming into the league. Since LeBron James, LeBron James is the best passer in the league, probably the best pa- one of the best passers of all time. Ben Simmons is outstanding. Uh, he's excellent at getting to the hoop, scoring inside. Great defender, long, six ten. He's very much like Magic Johnson. If that guy can just find just a sliver of a jump shot, this guy's going to be a top ten player in the league next year. I had him in the twenties on my list. But he can easily be a top 10 player next year if he just finds a little bit of a jump shot. Joel Embiid is one of the best traditional big men in the NBA right now. And when I say traditional, I mean conforming to the style of play we see today. With the, th- with the three-point shooting, he can stretch the floor. And he can also play back to the basket, face-up game. So he is a traditional big man kind of mixed with this modern NBA. So I, I really like the 76ers where they're at. Let's see where Marco, Markel Fultz is. He's kind of, it seems like he's in witness protection or something. We haven't seen him uh, since before the draft. So we don't know where he's at right now. Um, but I do like them in the Eastern Conference. I think they're the second best team in the East. And then number five, I'll put the Houston Rockets at five. That's where I'll put the Houston Rockets. They've lost their two best wing defenders. They they simply don't have the capabilities of defending the Warriors. They just don't. And a team like the Lakers, they do. They, the Lakers don't have a lot of shooting. But the what the Lakers' approach is... You're not going to beat the the Warriors shooting the basketball. You're just not. But you can out tough the Warriors because they're not a tough. They're not a tough team. They're not a mentally tough team. You can you can get under their skin a little bit. And you've got guys like Lance Stevenson, Rajon Rondo. Uh, you've got Javale McGee. You bring in Javale McGee, and he knows the system, so he can kind of leak some secrets. That's why I have the Lakers at three. Behind the Celtics. 
and as the second-best team in the West next year. So those are my odds. I've got Warriors 1, Celtics 2, Lakers 3, 76ers 4, and the Houston Rockets at 5. Alright, so I haven't done my NBA Top 30 in a minute. It's been a while. It's been a couple episodes. I've, you know, we last episode I brought on my friend Alec, brought him onto the show to discuss some NBA free agency. Check out that that episode, by the way. It was great stuff. Um, but we are in the top ten of my NBA top thirty. So without further ado, number ten might be a surprise to you to you guys, Russell Westbrook. Yes, he's an MVP. Yes, he's a he's a stat stuffer supreme, but he just doesn't mesh well with other superstars. He doesn't make other people around him better. He marginalized Carmelo Anthony to a spot-up shooter, and Melo's not a spot-up guy. He's good with the ball in his hands. I'm surprised Paul George stayed, but it's whatever. I think he made a mistake. He just doesn't elevate the people around him. He pads his stats. He shoots 40 times a game. I just... He's not a guy that I would want to play with. And he's not a guy I want to build my team around. Uh, number nine. Jimmy Butler. I, Jimmy Butler is a one of the best two-way players in the league. I think he is a top three or four two-way player in the league. Probably top three. Uh, he is really good in the mid-range, driving to the hoop, excellent defender. And there is some turmoil with him in the Timberwolves system right now, and he's with some of the younger guys. But I think he's a tr- terrific player, and I like him better than Russell Westbrook at nine. Number eight, Kyrie Irving. I like Kyrie Irving a lot. Kyrie Irving is the best finisher in basketball. Uh, He's got the best handles for sure. He's a great shooter, and he's very clutch. He is very much like Kobe. He is the Kobe of this generation of players. Got a killer instinct. Like I said, terrific finisher. Uh, Hopefully he stays in Boston. He would be a fool to leave Boston. Uh, with what they have going on right there, leaving the best, he would be leaving the best coach and the best farm system of of players we've seen in I don't know how long. Number seven, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Very long, very athletic, u- uber athletic. He, the Greek freak. He is a freak athletically. He can do. Everything except shoot with consistency. If this guy can find a jump shot, he can be the best player in the league in a couple years. Like once LeBron starts hitting his decline, I I really think Giannis can really rise up above some of these guys. And honestly, I might I have Kawhi Leonard at six ahead of him. I might even flip-flop that. I don't know, just because Kawhi was hurt all year last year. But we'll keep it where it is. Giannis at seven. Number six, Kawhi Leonard, the best two-way player in the league by far, hands down. He can do everything. He can shoot off the dribble. 
create his own shot. Excellent defensively. He is the best defensive player in the league. He is a guy that you would certainly want to build your team around. And if I'm the Lakers, I you need to go and get him to pair him up with LeBron James. Because if you can get the only guy in the league that can actually guard Kevin Durant, like really good, like can really put pressure on Kevin Durant, that's a huge advantage. It's huge. And that team is going to have some excellent defensive players on it. You could match up Rondo on Steph Curry. You put you could put LeBron on Draymond Green, Kawhi on Durant. I know I've already talked about the Lakers a lot, but that would just be insane. Kawhi Leonard at six, the best two-way player in the league. Number five, James Harden. James Harden to me reminds me a little bit of Russell Westbrook. He's very shot happy at times, oftentimes forces things like Russell Westbrook does, but he's still a tremendous offensive player, excellent ball handler, and really is a point guard. He's not a shooting guard. He is a point guard. And when he plays defense, he can actually, he can actually be a good defender if he commits himself. He kind of disappears in the playoffs, kind of late in the playoffs, but he is still a really, really good player. Number four, Anthony Davis. And that might be a surprise to some of you guys too. You, some of you guys might have him behind guys like Harden and Kawhi. But Anthony Davis is a super long, super athletic, can handle like a point guard, and can even shoot the three with some kind of consistency. He is really, really good. And with playing alongside Boogie last year, they were really good together, but they were even better when Anthony Davis was by himself. And I certainly think Anthony Davis is going to have a big year next year. Number three, Steph Curry. Steph Curry is hands down the best shooter this league has ever seen. He does have some ankle issues. He's got some injuries. But he is the best shooter in the league. He's the best point guard in the league. He's got some of the best handles in the game behind Kyrie Irving. I would put him behind Kyrie. He's also an excellent finisher at the rim. Can shoot it from anywhere. As soon as you step past half court, he's green light. Definitely best shooter of all time. Number two, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is probably the best offensive player in the league right now and is one of the most unique players this league has ever seen with his size and his length to be able to handle the ball like a point guard and shoot the three uh, lights out he's another guy that as soon as he steps past half court it's green light uh shooting off the dribble getting to the basket offensively this guy is just a superhuman and defensively with that length he is a great defender as well he is definitely an all-time great scorer. And then number one, LeBron James. That simple. Best passer this league's ever seen, or arguably the best passer this league's ever seen. Uh, year 15 last year, he put up the best numbers of his career. And with a better team this year, 
Certainly his usage rate is going to drop, but he's going to be much more efficient. He's not going to have to do as much, and he can certainly become a much more uh, rested player once the uh, the season kind of nears the end. And certainly his longevity is going to increase. So I think he's definitely going to be great for at least another three to four years. But that rounds out the NBA Top 30. Let me know if you disagree with any of that. I'm sure you definitely disagree with, with my Russell Westbrook take. And maybe some of these other guys you could probably flip-flop around. But yeah, that is my show this week, guys. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at The Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Like and comment on SoundCloud. Share this episode with the people you know. Once this episode uploads, I will put it on Twitter. So that way you guys can uh, you can click on the link and go listen to it. I'll also tweet uh, last week's episode. So you guys, actually it would have been almost two weeks. I think it's been probably 11 days almost since my last episode. But yeah, thank you for listening, guys. It's WFS. 